Hello, it is Sunday, March 28th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. Today is going to be strictly UFC 260. Going to talk about the fights. Going to talk about uh, Dana White's post-fight press conference. Going to talk about some fallout. Going to talk about Saturday night. And we'll start off with the first fight of the night. And that was Mark Andre, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because I will screw that up against Abu Azatar. If you watch the fight, Azatar came out pretty quickly um, and then faded pretty quickly. And by the third round, his body language was that of a fighter who pretty much didn't want to be there. When he bent down to pick up his mouthpiece during the fight without the referee stopping the action, that was a, a huge red flag that he wasn't thinking clearly and that maybe he was disinterested. Um, his body language, at least to me, was screaming that uh, you could stop this fight at any time. His corner did him a disservice. The referee did him a disservice. Uh, he got beaten pretty badly for the uh the majority of the, th the third round and then when the stop came it was useless because it was four seconds left in the fight it was nice that uh, Mark andre got the finish but he should have got it much sooner so bad refing uh, bad cornering uh, bad commentating as well because while the fight was going on if i recall correctly rogan and cormier on more than one occasion said that the fight was over, that it should be stopped, that it could be stopped. And then when it was stopped, uh, Rogan said that the stoppage by uh, uh, Jaron Vallel was a good one, which it was not. And if Rogan thought that was a good stoppage, he might have been the only one watching that fight that said, you know what, that stoppage came at the right time. It was pretty late, and... The body language of Azatar was someone who is not in, in the fight any longer. Another thing that bothered me about this was that multiple times during the fight we heard about Azatar's layoff, but never addressed the reason for the layoff. And of course, it was a USADA suspension. So another instance where uh, the UFC controls the narrative and mentions only what it wants to mention and mentions only what it wants to mention with certain fighters. Azatar is not one of those fighters that gets the USADA mention, and so it is what it is. I should say that as a whole, uh, the, the commentating between Rogan and Cormier, which has been distracting, was much, much better for this event. I thought Cormier did a very good job um, of for the most part, of describing the action and getting into detail and actually adding color and information to the the broadcast. So um, this was one of the better events Cormier has called in recent times. So uh, I want to give them credit for that because, you know, if I'm going to dump on them, which I have, I should also give credit when things are good and right. And there was a market improvement here, and I... And there was some goofing around, which is fine. But when the goofing around is more than the commentating, that's when it becomes an issue. But this was a good balance. And I and it was noticeable from the start that Cormier and Rogan were working better and more, more together. So kudos to them for that. Um, 
between the, I think it was between the prelims and the early prelims, the UFC had a betting show on. And I, I don't know much about this aspect of uh, MMA, but it seemed like a conflict of interest to me. And here's why. Because the folks that were on the show, because we know the UFC employs everybody, and controls its broadcasts. We're going to have to assume that those, and one of them was Brendan Fitzgerald, who we know does call fights. So I got to think that this was a UFC branded and UFC paid for betting show, odds show. And I'm always a little leery when the organization is doing a show about itself and pushing lines and talking about who to bet for and who to bet against. And what makes this even more, uh, I think, a conflict of interest, at least in my mind, is that the UFC has that massive partnership with DraftKings. So it just doesn't sit well with me. And I might be wrong about this, and I'm going to try and investigate it if I can. But when you have the organization paying the people to talk about the betting, pushing the lines, pushing the who, who to bet for and who to bet against, and then doing so in partnership with a betting site that has uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of interest in this in this organization, it, it sits a little bad with me. And so, not a fan of that, but I don't know if it's uh, an issue that has to be looked into, but I don't like it, but... It, it, we'll see what it what, how that all shakes out. So back to the fights. Covered the first fight, Omar Morales and Shane Young. Uh, Morales looked good. This was his second fight at featherweight. He lost his first fight after a lengthy run at lightweight where, where he was unbeaten. And maybe he was a little gun-shy here, but he sat back a little too much from my liking, let Young come to him, and... His counters were good, but when he was pressuring, he was much better. He let Young control where the fight took place. Maybe that was just uh, getting a better feel for featherweight. Uh, I'm not going to put a lot of stock in it, though, because it was only Morales's, like I said, second fight at featherweight. Uh, I will put a lot more stock into his third fight, but he looked good. But I expect more from him in his next fight where he pressures a little more and doesn't sit back because... The sitting back and letting Young control everything about the fight, not so great, but not bad, not bad, but um, you could expect a little more here from Omar Morales. The light heavyweight fight where uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce either guy's name, uh, Modestus and Mikel, Michael, I don't know how to even pronounce the dude's first name, but that one was a good fight. Uh, I, I think the the idea that uh, oh, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. Uh, Michael had was that he was going to pressure and maybe that Modestus would would falter, his cardio would go. That didn't happen, but the pressure and the output was good and it looked good and it's hard to fight off your back foot all the time. And even if you're landing, which Modestus did, you're not landing a lot of flush strikes because you're backing up. Some people can do that. Not everybody can. And I, I think you're going to land more significant strikes when you're pushing forward than when you're backing up. Um, the, the commentating here was weird because they said the pressure was one of the reasons or maybe the reason that the fight was won. That's not true. Pressure does not win you a fight. Striking 
wins your fight, damage wins your fight, pressure. I mean, it looks good. And maybe it has some influence on the judges, but it shouldn't. And so it was weird to hear that. Uh, Abu Bakar and Nurmagomedov and Jared Gordon. Uh, Gordon was obviously waiting for the wrestling here. And when it when it didn't come through the first two rounds, I think Nurmagomedov had one takedown attempt. I don't think he was able to adjust or he was afraid to adjust because the striking was coming. And, you know, if the striking is coming, eventually the takedown is going to come. But Nurmagomedov's striking carried the first two rounds. And then when the wrestling came in the third, uh, Gordon was maybe a little tired. Nurmagomedov took him down. Um, Gordon tried a choke, but Nurmagomedov just slickly slipped right to side control on that and avoided any kind of uh, submission attempt was a pretty slick little move, impressive. Uh, Nurmagomedov showed that if you're expecting him to strictly wrestle, you're not going to get that. He was good with his striking, and so uh, the the Dagestani fighters, if you're thinking they're just going to wrestle you, the generation that we're seeing now is more well-rounded, but still so good in wrestling that you got a lot to worry about. Um, so I was pretty impressed with Nurmagomedov here, and I look forward to seeing him again and seeing what he does and how his opponents react to the fact that he is now, you know, that he has striking and wrestling in his repertoire. Uh, Alonzo Menafield and Fabio Charant. Charant was not, shouldn't have been in uh, this fight this far up. He was a late replacement. He was, he's, if you want to be blunt, probably not UFC ready. Um, he held on to a guillotine too long, and Menafield just got a bomb flu on him and forced him to tap. Uh, Menafield did what he was supposed to do uh, and won pretty easily, so not much else to say there. Uh, Jamie Malarkey and Kama Worthy. Malarkey, just so much pressure, so much pressure, and a lot of power to go with that pressure. Uh, 46-second knockout for Malarkey. Worthy, uh, what struck me about this fight was the aftermath where Worthy did not know what happened and he was asking Malarkey's team what happened and then when they announced the length of the fight during the uh, decision call, he seemed surprised that it only lasted 46 seconds. So that's the kind of heartbreaking thing you get in the individual sports where you know, you're out there all alone, and everyone sees it. And, and when it ends badly, it ends very badly sometimes, and you don't even know how it ended. And I think people don't take that into account. Um, you get a lot of folks shitting on fighters, but, I mean, to go out there and, and to put, put it all on the line like that, I think uh, more appreciation should be um, given to these folks. Uh, but... That's that is what it is. It's the nature of the sport. It's brutal sometimes. It's ugly sometimes, and sometimes you're uh, it ends and you don't know what happened. And that is what occurred on Saturday night to Commonworthy, Miranda Maverick and Jillian Robertson. Miranda Ma Maverick looked very good. Um, she struggled a bit on the mat when uh, Robertson was on her back, not terribly. She, I don't think Robertson got a submission attempt. I think Robertson was a little too 
non-aggressive when she was on the back uh, because that was her big chance in this fight. She was on her back. She should have been aggressive going for the submissions. I don't think she got a submission attempt. I might be wrong. Uh, Maverick looked good throughout the fight. She's only 23, I think. She's got, she has to develop a little more, but she looked, uh, like I said, excellent. Her striking was good. Her mix of techniques was good. Her mix of targets was good. Her ground pressure, her ground strikes, her wrestling, all of it was good. The one deficit was the defensive jiu-jitsu, defensive grappling. But I really liked when she stood up in the second round and just came out firing. And I think she won the second round uh, because Robertson, while they were grappling, Robertson and Robertson had some control. She did not go for submissions. So was it effective grappling? Not really because it just was positional grappling to me. I, I didn't see too many submission. Was she going for submission attempts? Maybe. But she didn't get them. She wasn't close to locking them in. And that, I think, is uh, what cost her the round. It was a good round for her. Had she been a little more aggressive, she would have won it probably. But all in all, over, the overall fight, Maverick was the rightful winner there. Um, I think she has a pretty good future. But she's in flyweight. So the future probably tops out at contender or challenger as long as Shevchenko's there. Sean O'Malley and Thomas Almeida. O'Malley looked good, showed a lot of motion, started a lot of feints, switching stances, didn't take a lot of leg kicks. Um, he, he did his Sean O'Malley thing, and I think he's ready and able and should be moved up. He hasn't really fought a ranked opponent. I mean, Vera, I don't think Vera was ranked when they fought. I think Vera got into the spot after the win. Uh, so maybe you run that Vera, fact, Vera fight back, which... O'Malley lost and Vera well more Vera won than O'Malley lost and or you give him someone else and I looked at the top 15 and I think Sean O'Malley is going to have a lot of problems and we'll see I might be wrong but I think his showboating and his ego is bigger than his talent at this point he's 26 um he I mean, even his post-fight interview, he said he wanted the not, that knockout to be a viral moment, and that is not something you can screw around with when you're fighting um, folks like maybe a, a Stamen or a Dominic Cruz or anyone in that division that has been around and is not going to be you know, bewildered or confused by the movement. Uh, and so if you're trying to force something, the odds are you're not going to get it against top talent, and maybe you end up on the wrong side of a of a viral knockout or a viral stoppage. And that's something uh, O'Malley's got to watch for. Uh, I think his ego is too big. I think that that um, mess up in the first round when he thought he had a walk-off knockout was a huge mistake. Made him fight uh, longer than he should have, and maybe that's good for uh, cage time, but it's not good for the look of things. And... If you have someone hurt that badly, you need to go in for the finish and you need to fight until the ref pulls you off. You don't get to call your stoppage. And I think that's what O'Malley wanted. He didn't get it. He got a nice stoppage in the third, but he should have had a, a first round stoppage. The fact that uh, he got a bonus is puzzling to me. I don't think he should have got a bonus because the way I look at it is he failed miserably and then passed the retest. The first round was the test. Got an F. 
by not by not finishing, by not going forward, by not pursuing, by expecting a knockout when it didn't come. That's a failure. If you pass the test on the retest, I mean, that comes out to a C if you really think about it. And uh, I think the UFC gave him an un, unwarranted bonus in this case. White said it was a masterpiece. It wasn't because he made that giant error in the first round. Now, Almeida didn't make him pay for that, but he makes an error like that against someone in the top five. The odds are pretty good that he could lose that fight. So O'Malley needs to focus more on getting the win, even if it's not spectacular, than on getting the viral moment. So we'll see. But I would I would very very much be inclined to give Sean O'Malley a test of a top ten opponent next and see what happens. But that that bonus one hundred percent unwarranted because he failed in his first test. You don't get to go back and uh Try that test again. Um, Vicente Luque and Tyron Woodley. This was an excellent fight. Excellent fight. It didn't last long. Woodley showed a lot of aggression. Showed that he wanted to win. And was it a fight? Was it warranted for fight of the night? I don't know. Maybe it was. A, it was. They put a lot of action in that four three fifty six. But. Um, I know Woodley has a lot of losses in a row, but I was pretty impressed by how he came out. Um, did he lose? Sure. But did he really go for it? Also sure. So I'd be inclined to give Woodley another fight. And um, he's going to fall pretty far down the rankings. And, you know, maybe bottom half of the rankings now he, he he's going to have to fight. Luque, I think this was a big win for him. His... Outside of his first UFC fight, his only losses are to Leon Edwards and Stephen Thompson. And a lot of people have lost to Leon Edwards and Stephen Thompson. This fight should put him back on the path to getting a top-ranked opponent. And he deserves it. So we'll see what happens here with Luke A. But excellent performance. Um, it was just a crazy short fight. But again, I think Woodley showed us that he still wants it. And yeah, his back was extremely against the wall, but his back was against the wall when he wasn't uh, being so aggressive and, and offensive too. So I'd give him another shot. I mean, he hasn't always seen eye to eye with the UFC. He's been vocal sometimes when the UFC didn't want him to be. So it's going to be interesting to see where the, he goes or what the UFC does with him. Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic, we had heard that you know, that we were going to see a change and we were going to see a new Francis Ngannou. And my take going into this fight was that I was picking Miocic because we had been hearing this for three years about Francis Ngannou's change and improvements, but we had not seen it because, well, he just went out and blasted everybody in the first, you know, 71 seconds or less. And so I, you know, being someone who needs to see and not just hear, I picked Miocic, but I also said that it would not 100% surprise me if Ngannou won the fight by knockout. I all said I wouldn't put money on the fight. I would bet prop bets, and the prop would be on, you know, the time. And if it was, you know, under under one and a half Ngannou and over one and a half Miocic, so it lasted two. To, uh, 52 seconds into the second round. So 
pretty close. Ngannou impressed me. He he defended that takedown very well and even slid around the back and landed some strikes from the back. Um, he was patient. He didn't rush in. He didn't expend unnecessary energy. Um, just being a huge guy, he's going to expend energy anyway. The small cage mentally might have been a factor, but it didn't wasn't really a factor in the fight itself. The more the factor was that Miocic made a mistake and Ngannou made him pay for that mistake. The mistake was not trying to recover and maybe thinking, Miocic thinking that he had hurt Ngannou and when he hadn't really, and then coming rushing in with his hands down and that was all Ngannou needed and, you know, he trucked him. He trucked him bad. So we'll see what that goes from there. Um, Daniel Cormier was practically giddy after the fight thinking about what's going to happen with a possible Francis Ngannou and John Jones fight. My thinking was that uh, Cormier is of the opinion that Ngannou will beat Jones pretty badly. And that's why he wanted to see the fight. He was, I mean, uh, Daniel Cormier might have been the happiest guy in that arena last night, even even happier than Ngannou and his team. It was, it was pretty, it was amusing. Uh, we know that there's a grudge there, so... Was I shocked? Not at all. And, um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. But there's some interesting things here that are going to that are gonna uh, shake out. Dana White is already saying that, uh, implying that John Jones is going to price himself out of this fight by saying the uh, line that he's used before, you can say you want to fight him, but when it comes down to it, do you? And... I think he used the same line before on Jones, if I'm not mistaken. But I think Jones wants to fight Ngannou. There's no way that Jones is afraid of him. Uh, any No fighter is afraid of another fighter. That's just a ridiculous thing that White likes to throw out there and some meatheads believe. But come on, John Jones, anyone, not afraid of another fighter. Because if they were, why would they be in this business? So that's stupid. Um, I think Jones could flip this whole thing back on White and say, well, you want you say you want this fight, but are you willing to pay for this fight? And the answer to that is no. Um, so Jones said he wanted uh, Deontay Wilder money before. Deontay Wilder is the third best heavyweight in boxing or thereabouts. So that's not crazy money when it comes to John Jones, who is the most talented and best fighter we've ever seen. The problem is you have Derek Lewis sitting there and he's probably willing to fight for less than Jones is because it's a heavyweight fight and Lewis is a heavyweight and he doesn't have the options and he's he is fighting strictly for money, he said, so he's going to fight for uh, the money that is maybe not offered, but he's going to be in the ballpark of the UFC. So um, if the UFC thinks it's going to pressure Jones, I don't think it is. The other thing we have here is that Dana White can easily throw John Jones under the bus on many things that Jones has done in his past. And we know that White isn't above doing that. So I think this could get ugly. And it's going to might even get personal between Jones and White, which is silly. If I was a betting man, I would bet that we see the Lewis fight before the Jones fight. And I would bet that we see the Miocic trilogy before the Jones fight. I think Jones knows what he's worth and is going to hold out for what he's worth. And he, he, I think he believes that sooner or later the UFC will come around. I'm not so sure about that. Um, 
So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But it's going to be interesting to watch all this. Another thing that's going to be interesting is if the UFC gives Miocic a trilogy if he wants it. We know that he is not a UFC favorite. They, he does not do what the UFC wants. He doesn't play the games the UFC wants him to play. He fights as a second job, so he doesn't really need to be that guy. And since he's not that guy, the UFC doesn't play ball with him. And I don't know if they'll give him a trilogy. We'll see. I mean, obviously they gave um, Cormier the trilogy because Cormier is a UFC favorite. There's no denying that. So we'll see what happens. Um, and I think that is all I have here. Let me just check my notes. Yeah, I think that's all I have. Um, my most interesting topics are coming out of this. So who's Sean O'Malley gets matched up with, but especially what happens at heavyweight. The other interesting thing about heavyweight is that Jones and Lewis are repped by the same management team, but I don't think that is going to hold up the negotiations because I think that Jones has a number, Lewis has a number, and the UFC, as we know, when you have two talents bidding on the same kind of thing, so you have Jones and Lewis bidding on the fight with Ngannou, the winner of that war, it's like the government, the winner of that bid is probably the lower bidding fighter. And so these fighters are going to have their numbers, and if their management does them right, the lower-priced fighter is going to get the fight. That's management's job to get the fighter what they want. And if the fighter wants less than another fighter, that's unfortunate, but that's probably what's going to happen. And we also know when management comes into these things, they don't really have a lot of power over the UFC, even if they have both fighters, because if push comes to shove, UFC will just move on to a third option because it doesn't really care about this anymore. It cares about profits more than entertainment and and putting on the right fights. Um, we know this is not a this is not your fertitas. This isn't people who are actually trying to put on the right fights most of the time. The profits are what drives this, especially if the UFC is going to go public. It's profits over anything. So low bidder gets the fight, even if it's not Lewis or Jones or Miocic. So things could get very uh, interesting here in the heavyweight division. That's all I have for today. And uh, until tomorrow, everyone stay safe.